Hello and welcome to the first podcast of 2010 for the Lancet Infectious Diseases. Richard Lane and I'm joined here by TLID's editor John McConnell to discuss some highlights from the January 2010 issue. We're going to have to get used to saying 2010 or 2010. John, we're going to talk mainly about antibiotics. Let's start off with a review which really is detailing a very important public health campaign. What's this all about? Yes, Richard, this is a review which looks at numerous public health campaigns which have been conducted since uh, 1990 up until 2007. And these are campaigns which are designed to dissuade people from asking for antibiotics when they go to their doctors, primarily with an upper respiratory tract infection, and also to educate doctors themselves um, not not to hand out antibiotics for these indications. So the idea is that uh, these campaigns will help educate people so that they know that uh, antibiotics uh, are not relevant if they had a co- have a cold, for example, and hopefully will reduce the use of antibiotics and will reduce the tendency for resistance to develop to widely used antibiotics. Who are these campaigns aimed at? I guess most importantly, it's got to be the phy- physicians have got, got to be the main target audience because if there's an expectation among patients that they erroneously think they require antibiotics. It's for the physicians to put them right, isn't it? Well, that's true, but of course it's difficult for physicians to manage those sort of expectations. So the the authors find when they review the campaigns that by and large the campaigns are directed at at both uh, the general public and at physicians. So they're persuading people actually not to ask and explaining why it's appropriate for them not to expect to receive an antibiotic when they go to their doctors with cold or flu. And is it just broadly correct to assume that what the one of the biggest problems here with the misuse uh, of antibiotics is that patients and physicians just don't know whether they've actually got an infection that's going to be relevantly treated by the antibiotic. Well, that's true, but uh, the, uh, the the fact is that the vast majority of um, colds will clear up um, quite satisfactorily on their own without the need for an antibiotic. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say that uh, if you're still suffering from your cold after a couple of weeks, then perhaps that's the time to go to your physician and find out whether perhaps you've got a, um, a bacterial infection has, has supervened. But by and large, you will get better on your own with some um, over-the-counter drugs and you won't need an antibiotic. But staying with the antibiotics theme, John, obviously antibiotics have been around, broadly speaking, for well, since the 1940s. In terms of research and development, R&D in the antibiotic area, it is important that, that there's a new emphasis here, isn't there? Well, I think the pipeline is getting um, um, is, is starting to run dry in terms of new antibiotics that are coming onto the market. So we have a situation where there's uh, increasing levels of resistance amongst bacteria to the, uh, the commonly used antibiotics, and that, that applies to both gram-positive and gram-negative infections. The situation is particularly acute for gram-negative infections where there are few, if any, new antibiotics becoming available to to treat these infections where there's a a growing level of uh, antibiotic resistance. So we have a couple of items in the journal this month. There's a commentary which is about stimulating antibiotic development. It's urging harmonisation of the regulatory requirements for the regulatory agencies, um, particularly in Europe and the United States, in order to get antibiotics to, to market much more quickly. And the author points out that it's somewhat absurd that an antibiotic can be can be licensed 
in uh, Europe, but not in the States and vice versa. And that it may gain different indications in one market from another market. And then there ought to, really ought to be some sort of harmonization in order to make it more, more logical for the drug companies to invest in these things and make it a little bit easier to, to get them to market. And then we've got a news item which looks at the pressures on antibiotic development, looks particularly at how the um, the pipeline of new drugs is, is running dry. It reckons, for example, there are only 15 new drugs under development, varying from all sorts of stages from phase one to phase three trials, that there's perhaps only two or three which are relevant to gram-negative infections, and that's a particularly troubling area. And it also reports the recent summit between the um, president of the European Union and, and Barack Obama which is designed to encourage a, a task force to look particularly at the whole problem of antibiotic resistance and uh, and new um, antibiotic uh, drug development. So hopefully now that this has is, this is really entered, that started to enter the political arena, then we will get some sort of traction in this area soon. You talked about gram-negative infections. Uh, can, what do they lead to, just elaborate? Well, if we take something like a simple urinary tract infection caused by an E. coli, there are some strains of E. coli which are becoming multi-drug resistant. Uh, they have uh, what's called ex- extended spectrum beta-lactamase resistance, which means that they are resistant to the drugs which, broadly speaking, are based around penicillins. These uh, infections are becoming very hard to treat. So if you have a patient, particularly a patient who's got some sort of underlying illness, and therefore it's hard for them to fight off the infection, they are dependent on antibiotics uh, to, to aid their own immune system in fighting off this infection. And if the antibiotics become resistant, then our cupboard is bare and it's going to become very difficult to um, to treat these people. I think it's very telling, for example, that in this news report, which looks at the pressures on antibiotic development, the number that's given for new anti-cancer drugs, which are in development, is something like 800 new anti-cancer drugs. By contrast, we only have 15 antibiotics which are in development. Unless we have working antibiotics, then new anti-cancer drugs will become irrelevant because by and large, it is difficult to treat cancer uh, unless you can deal with the immune suppression which cancer chemotherapy brings on by the use of antibiotics. So it's absolutely essential that we have available to us effective antibiotics and that the pipeline of effective drugs is renewed. To me it almost sounds as though the field of antibiotic research is almost a bit unfashionable. It, it has become highly unfashionable and, that, and that's because it's not considered to be profitable compared with the, uh, the money that can be made from antivirals for HIV, for example, with developing a, uh, a new drug to treat erectile dysfunction. I mean, these are chronic illnesses for which people will require treatment lifelong. By contrast, an antibiotic works for a few days or even a few weeks. The potential earnings are, are, are not the same as they are from drugs to treat chronic illnesses. Very sobering point. Thank you, John. And finally, can you just briefly mention another item in the January 2010 issue, and that concerns HIV treatment failure in um, developing countries? Yes, well, this is a, it's actually a personal view paper, and it's looking at the diagnosis and management of antiretroviral 